The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We are here this evening to study in the word of God. We are in our review of the book of Romans, and I would imagine that most likely this is our final class in the book of Romans because we are in the final few verses of this review, and so uh, we will take a look at uh, Romans 16, verses 25 through 27, a doxology. We started that on Sunday morning, and we'll go back and look at what we did on Sunday morning and then move on from there. Before we do any of that, let's take a moment for silent prayer. We do need to ensure that our hearts are prepared for the study of the Word of God. This entails confession of sin if needed, uh, but even if you're already in fellowship, this silent prayer is a wonderful time to Prepare your heart in terms of quieting your thoughts regarding the busyness of life and also humbling ourselves before the eternal truth of God's word. Shall we pray? Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with this opportunity to gather at the church tonight. I thank you for the prayer meeting that we just had. What a blessing that is to pray with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for your precious word and the truth of it, which truly does nourish our souls. The darker the world gets around us, the more lies, the more horrible things we see happening in the world around us, the more we appreciate the light of the truth of your word. And we ask that you would help us to hunger for your word, just like we hunger for food that we put in our mouths for these bodies. Help us to hunger for the food of your word that feeds our souls and that through the nourishment that we receive from that word, we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in his most precious and beautiful name. Amen. I don't know if you all saw the email I sent out, but I thought about it and I am going to start sending out the scripture memory verses on Wednesdays. And that way we'll have an opportunity to have, you know, look it over and maybe by Sunday we'll get it. You should get it. Yeah, I, you definitely will get it. Um, scripture memory verse is right behind me this week. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I'm trying, by the way, I'm trying to make the early part of this as easy as possible, right? We're getting easy verses, verses we already know, uh, verses that are short verses like we had last Sunday. Uh, I'm trying to make the beginning of this effort as easy as possible so that everybody continues to join in the process uh, of memorizing as much scripture as possible. This is one you hear all the time. <laughs> you hear it every time we have a Bible class. So it should be one that's that's pretty easy for you to lock onto and to memorize. You might not have known that it was Isaiah 40, verse 8, but now you do. It's right there, Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And uh, we're going to do some different things. We're going to we touched on some gospel uh, verses. We're going to you know, we're going to look at verses that have to do with the Christian way of life. But uh, Sharon actually suggested and I liked it uh, going through and doing a series of verses that highlight the essence of God. And if you think about it in a way, this one kind of does, even though it talks about his word stands forever. It really speaks to his immutability, right? It speaks to his immutability and his words immutability. So uh, anyway, we will be touching on a lot of different scripture, but I, I, again, I'm trying to make it as easy as possible 
uh, early on uh, in in the in these uh, memory verses. All right. Well, if you if, if this kind of thing freaks you out, then uh, I apologize for that. But we're our starting our starting. Um, no, that's not correct. Good, it's not correct. I got to the wrong thing there. That was it. Didn't it? Didn't it? Didn't go there. It is. All right. Our our. Uh, I didn't type it. I didn't type it right. Our uh, beginning slide for tonight is slide number six sixty six. So if that bothers you, I apologize. But it just happened to be that slide. I could have thrown an extra slide in there to make it different, but. I figured you guys could handle it. <laughs> What's that? I could have just skipped 60. Actually, I actually I would have had to manipulate it because that's automatically done by PowerPoint. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, this this we looked at on on Sunday morning. We'll go ahead and go back over what we looked at. Here's the translation of the doxology. Uh, chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ in accordance with the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past but is but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets in accordance with the commandment of the eternal God has been revealed to all the nations leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. So this is another, by the way, this isn't the first time we've come across a doxology in the book of Romans, but this is the doxology at the end of chapter 16. And we took a look at these already. As Paul wrote the concluding verses of his letter to the church at Rome, he penned a powerful summation of the message contained therein, the greatness of God, the importance of the true gospel message, the relevance of the teaching of Christ, the criticality of the mystery doctrines and the value of the Old Testament scriptures are emphasized. All of that is emphasized. Now, this might be a good thing for you to remember this point I have right here. Keep that fresh in your mind. You'll see why later. The greatness of God, the importance of the true gospel message, the relevance of the teaching of Christ, the criticality of the mystery doctrines and the value of the Old Testament scriptures are all emphasized in this doxology. Now we're taking a look at the greatness of God. He is able to establish us. We looked at that in 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. He is able to build us up. Acts 20 uh, in verse 32. He is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. Ephesians 3:20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So those verses we see, I think, I think it speaks to the idea, first of all, whatever it is that needs to be done, God has the capacity to accomplish it. We all know that, right? Amen. But sometimes I think we forget that. Sometimes I think we look at our own limitations and uh, without, even, without even really trying to, we limit God because we think of our own limitations and we limit God. Well, that speaks to the fact that he can do everything, but he can do even more beyond all that we ask or think. And I think that that teaches us a lesson that often we don't ask enough. When I think it, but I think it's important, as I emphasize this, I think it's important to keep in mind, for example, the way Tom prayed in the prayer meeting. You can ask, you can ask and be bold in what you ask and say, Father, this is what I'm asking you but not my will, but yours be done, right? That's the important thing to keep in mind, right? But you can be bold in what you ask, recognizing that God is actually going to fulfill that in the perfect way 
and it may not be exactly what you ask for uh, and so on. But, th- but, but I think all of us, I can speak to myself, all of us are a little bit timid when it comes to what we ask of God. We probably could ask even more um, than we do. He is able to keep us from stumbling, Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now, that's important, right? God can do that. How about you? Can you do it? You can try, but you can't. The reality of it is if you try in your own fleshly power to keep yourself from stumbling, you're going to end up stumbling. You may be able to hold off sin for a while because you're really stubborn and you're really so on and so forth, but you're not going to be able to win that battle because the sin nature is going to end up causing you to stumble. And not only that, think about this, the world system. We were talking about that, right? We're in the world but not of the world. And Dave, you were praying about that. We're in it but not of it. The reality of it is this world system is out there. You know, we talked about in the study we did a long time ago, we did a study on the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? The world, the cosmos system, the flesh itself, the sin nature, and the devil, you know, because he put into play the world system, but he's not just sitting around. The devil and his minions are active trying to see what they can do to trip us up. But God is able to keep us from stumbling. Now, that's very important. But then it goes on in this verse. Not only can he keep us from stumbling... In our walk, he's able to make us stand in the presence of his glory. Now, what am I? What am I to stand in the presence of God? I'm nothing, right? I'm nothing, right? I'm worthless, right? But he is able to make me stand in his presence because of who he has made me to be. And a lot of that has to do with what happened the moment I believed in Jesus Christ. Amen? Because I got his imputed righteousness. I'm going to be able to stand in his presence. Can I stand, can I stand in the presence of God in this body? No. That's what's so cool when you think about, that's what's so cool when you think about the idea of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's able to indwell me, and yet the body that I'm in is one that's not really worthy of, worthy of the presence of God. So, but there's going to come a day when I'm going to be in the very presence. You know, we were talking about Charles Stanley. He's in the very presence of God right now. And so he left this body behind. He's in the presence of God. That When the rapture happens, Charles Stanley along with all the other members of the church, he's going to receive a resurrection body. And when he receives that resurrection body, it's going to be suited for glory, and he will be able to be in that body in the presence of God. What a cool thing. He is able to make us to stand in the presence of his glory, not just not in his presence, but in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. That's so cool to think about. That's what God can do. That's what God can do. Now, what about the importance of the true gospel message? See, that was the greatness of God. Now we're looking at the importance of the true gospel message. The true gospel brings a message of life and immortality to light. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10 says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. See, those are, those are two different things. Right. Think about it. You have to be you have to be able to understand these verses rightly divide, understand the the things that are being talked about. He has saved us. And called us with a holy calling, right, as believers, we've been called to a life that we are to have in him. 
And then it says, not according to our works. That's in reference back to going back to the, the, the saved us. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Now, how can he say that? How can he say that in this passage that it was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity? Because in eternity past, the plan was already there, right? If they, if we have this picture. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but the idea that in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had the eternal life conference. Have you heard this language, right? The eternal life conference. And they basically decided at that point the plan that was going to go unfold and how Jesus was going to die for all of us and all of us who would believe would receive all of these things, right? So in eternity past, all of this was set in place. Now that, by the way, is just a picture for us because there was never a moment in time where the plan wasn't in place, right? It was always in place. But this is what's cool is to think about that in eternity past, this plan was already in effect. And look what it says in verse 10. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Right? Now, was there an understanding of this concept prior to his coming? Of course there was. There was the idea they understood, they understood it differently. They understood the idea of an atonement, right? An atonement. Their sins would be covered over. And they loved that idea because that was like, you know what? God's going to cover over my sins so he doesn't have to see all that ugliness. Well, that was the reality before Jesus came. But once Jesus came and he went to the cross and he died for our sins, there's no more atonement. There's no more covering over. They're taken away. As far as the east is from the west, they're taken away. The, the lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world, right? That's what we're talking about. So he, brought, he abolished death and brought life and immortality to, to light through the gospel. Now, did he abolish physical death? See, that's the whole thing. When you read these verses, you have to understand what, what it's talking about. He didn't abolish physical death. People have been dying ever since. The, the disciples, all of those disciples died. Right? All of them died. All of the apostles of the early church, all of them have died physical death. But they haven't really died, have they? That's the key. Well, you know, when you when you look at when you look at uh, when you look at the word death, honestly, I've heard it taught that way, the idea of a separation. And there is a reality to that. Right. There is a reality of the way it's used. But when you see the word death, you have to ask yourself the question. You stop and you ask yourself the question, what death are we talking about? Is this physical death? Is, is, this, is, this, is, this, is this the idea of abolishing the idea of, of eternal condemnation in the lake of fire? I mean, that's what we're really talking about, right? We don't have to be condemned to the lake of fire anymore. And spiritual death has been conquered by Jesus on the cross. Physical death. See, that's the whole thing, though. If you think about it, I want you to think about this for a second. So... Separate yourself from where, what the life that you've known for, for however many years. and Imagine yourself as an unbeliever, right? So as an unbeliever, when you die, what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen? You, eventually, you know, your soul's going to end up uh, in the lake of fire. Some believe in nihilism, by the way, which they believe they just cease to exist. But some believe that, you know, their, their soul is going to remain and something's going to happen to it. So, but if you think about it now, as an unbeliever, you don't you don't have a clear picture of where you're going to go when you die, right? You don't really know. And some, like I say, some believe you just stop existing. Some believe your soul goes into who knows what. It's part of the universe, right? We've heard all this stuff about 
the universe stuff. But the fact of the matter is, as an unbeliever, you don't really know what's going to happen. So you, you're going to fear physical death, aren't you? Because you don't know what that means. You don't know what physical death means. For us as believers, is there, should there be any fear of physical death? Physical death is just a promotion to glory, isn't it? It's just a promotion. So we, what, why would we fear? So there's no, there's no, we say there, the idea of physical death, that doesn't have any power over us anymore, or it shouldn't, right? It shouldn't have any power. He has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We know that through faith in him, you do not have to fear physical death and you don't have to fear where you're going to be for all of eternity. You're going to know where you're going to be. I thought it was interesting. We were watching the show the other day, and the, the conversation was the idea of, of faith cannot exist unless there's doubt. And I was listening to this whole thing, and I was going, well, that's kind of interesting. I think, I think faith, can, faith can exist in the beginning when there's doubt, but if you truly have faith, you eventually get to the, el, the elpis, the word hope that we see, which is a confident expectation, Right? I mean, that's where it should end up. We should be, have a confident expectation. You know, so I don't have, my faith doesn't mean that I doubt where I'm going to be in eternity. Do you doubt where you're going to be in eternity? You should know. You should have a confident expectation that you're going to be with God for all of eternity. So I thought that was an interesting way to phrase it. Certainly in the beginning, there's probably some doubts. But if you truly have faith, those doubts go away. The true gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to bring about salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And then John three sixteen. Do I need to turn there? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's one of our memory verses, so we don't even need to turn there. The true gospel is a divine message, and it must not be perverted. Now, you think maybe we're going to get to this in our Galatians study. <laughs> this is going to be pretty important early on in the, in the Galatians study. I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and wanting to dis- distort the gospel of Christ. Boy, that, and that's been going on ever since, ever since. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. And again, that's anathema, which is a very strong word. For for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Let's see, I wanted to go through verse 12. For I would have you know, my, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, he's, that's just, that just links it to other verses. Uh, that links it to other verses when you can, you can go look at other verses in there. That's just your correlating verses. So I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. In other words, it wasn't something invented by man. Man didn't come up with this, right? This was something that was a revelation that he received from Christ. In other words, it came from God. So the whole thing is, what about, what about the gospel? 
the gospel is, if, as we understand it from scriptures, right? I mean, you study the scriptures, you can come to a clear understanding of the gospel. It's faith alone. Salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. That's important, right? All of those words that are in there are important. By grace, through faith, faith alone, in Christ alone, right? You're not believing in something else. Your faith is not in the Catholic Church. Your faith is in Christ, right? And it's faith alone. You're not adding anything to that. It's very important that you're not adding anything to that. There's no stipulation beyond, beyond faith in Jesus Christ himself. That's been distorted so badly for all these years that it's ridiculous. And so uh, this message that Paul gives here in Galatians is very important because, you know, when the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul to say this, he knew that this was going to be something under attack ever, ever, ever since, right? Ever since the gospel was given, it's been under attack. So we need to, we need to be strong and stand up for the gospel message uh, and be clear on how we say it. And I, I, by the way, that's my, that's my favorite way to say it. You're, you, you are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And that's a very clear message. What about the relevance of the teaching of Christ? While much of Jesus' earthly ministry was directed towards the Jewish people, we can derive application from all of his teaching, right? If we look at Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6, the 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he was directing them to go to the Jewish people. Verses, uh, chapter 15, verse 24. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So that was his, in, early in his ministry, he was focused on reaching the people of Israel. Is there application? Well, I'll give you an example. What about this as an example? Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. What is, what, is, what is the proper context for the Sermon on the Mount? Anybody know? What's that? No, no, the Sermon on the Mount is he's actually, he's actually teaching kingdom law. He's teaching, he's teaching them what is going to be kingdom law when they get into the millennial kingdom. That's going to be the kingdom law. Now, is there application for us? You betcha. There's all kinds of things we can learn from the Sermon on the Mount. But that is he's teaching them kingdom law. He's teaching them the difference between the way the Mosaic law was and the way the law is going to be when you get to the kingdom. But there's application from that, right? We can all learn from that. In particular, the message Jesus gave to his disciples in the upper room discourse, which I'm not going to read all of that, by the way. If we wanted to make this not, if we wanted to make this not the last class in Romans, I could read that whole section. But I encourage you to read it. We just recently read it in our two-year through the Bible reading. We read through the upper room discourse, John 13:31. Now, why do I start it in verse 31? Anybody know what happens? We'll, we will take a look at John 13:30. So after the receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. Who is that? Who went out? Judas Iscariot. So they were all there. If you start at the beginning of chapter 13, when they get into the upper room, they're all there. But after Judas left, which is verse 30, after he left, boom. And what do we have in the very first verse after he's gone? Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified, right? And Judas was gone. 
Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And he goes on from there, and that begins the upper room discourse that we highlight. And it goes all the way through the end of chapter 16. That has direct application to the church. Why? Because what Jesus was doing is in the upper room the night before his crucifixion, he was trying to prepare his disciples for what was coming. And if you think about it, there's, you, we all know about this. There was a reference, I think it's in the book of Matthew, where he talks about, on this rock, I will build my church, right? That was a reference to, uh, I believe, what would be ultimately the church, what we have today. Other than that, Jesus really never talked about anything to do with the church until we get here in the upper room. That's when he starts talking about what's, get, what's getting ready to happen. He waited until right then, right before he goes to the cross to talk about it. What about the criticality of the mystery doctrines? The stewardship of the church being comprised of Jews and Gentiles alike. That's pretty important, isn't it? What did we have, what did we have prior to that? We had a stewardship made up of the Jewish people, right? The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 12 tribes. And interestingly, the stewardship prior to this one was an earthly nation that had both believers and unbelievers in it. That's an interesting thing. Think about, because we see we're used to the church today, and the stewards today are all believers. But back then, when the stewardship was Israel, you had believers and unbelievers that were part of the stewardship. Now, who, were, now who was really the effective steward at that time? It was the believers within Israel. Think about it. The remnant of believers in Israel were the effective stewards. But all of Israel were called to be the stewards of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister, that's a servant, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me. The very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration. By the way, that word for administration, that's the idea of a stewardship. That's the idea of even a dispensation, right? The administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Well, what is he saying? Why does he say that in this last verse? The manifold wisdom of God might be made, now be made known through the church. He's saying we're the stewards now. Or we're the ones that are receiving the revelation from God. We're the ones, you know, that's not happening today, but it was then, right? God was speaking to humanity now through the church. Prior to this dispensation, prior to this stewardship, all revelation came through the prophets of Israel. Well, that's all changed. Now you have God speaking through 
the church, right? Through the church. Now, interestingly, a whole lot of the individuals that were believers that were part of the ones who delivered to us the word of God, they were Jew or Gentile. Which one? Most of them were Jewish, right? Most of them were Jewish. But what Paul is saying here is now God is the new stewardship that God has is made up of Jews and Gentiles alike. Yes, sir. That should be a capital C. If I were translating it, it would be capital C. Yeah, the church universal. Yeah. Absolutely. The church as the body of Christ, that's part of the mystery doctrines, right? The church is the body of Christ. Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 through 27. He, all, he is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from physical death, so that he... And only he might come to have first place in everything. For the Father was pleased to opt for all the fullness of deity to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. You notice he doesn't say under the earth at that point. Verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated alienated and hostile in thinking and engaged in evil deeds... Yet he has now reconciled you in his incarnation through spiritual death in order to present you in his sight holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Since indeed you persevere in the faith firmly established and steadfast and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a servant. Now I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in supplying a necessary part of Christ's afflictions. Of the church, I myself became a servant according to the stewardship from God given to me for your benefit to make the word of God fully known. That is, the mystery which has been sealed up from the past ages and generations but has now been revealed to his saints, to whom God purposed to make known what is the abundance of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the confident expectation of glory. So that, that's pretty important mystery doctrine, wouldn't you say? Pretty important stuff right there, the idea of what we have now. And see, don't ever forget that you've been given, we've been given pretty special blessings and privileges as part of the church. And, of course, the principle of doctrine is, the principle of Scripture is, to whom much is given, much is required. So we, but we've been given amazing blessings. Believe me, believe me. If you had, if you went back, and you were talking to Jeremiah, just think about Jeremiah, and all the stuff that he went through, and you sat down with Jeremiah and you explained to him, hey, look, one day this is what it's going to be like for believers on the earth. He would have said, no way, not a chance, <laughs> no way. Because he functioned, in, he functioned in, a, in an amazing and wonderful way without most of the assets that you have at your disposal. Without. The church is the bride of Christ. That's important as well. Ephesians 5, verses 28 through 32. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Again, that should be a capital C. Because we are members of his body. For this reason, 
A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Mystery doctrines. And by the way, this is so, so important. The cleaving that takes place, the joining to the wife, the two become one. A very important part of how marriage is to work. The church coming to its conclusion at the rapture event. That was something that was never revealed. And in fact, it's interesting because I was having conversations, uh, I was having a conversation with uh, Pastor Bob at our last lunch, uh, Pastor Bob Bolander from Austin Bible Church. He and I had lunch, and we were talking about it, and he says, really, he believes that we should not throw this particular event into the category of eschatology. And I, we, t- we had a discussion about it, and his thinking was, his reasoning was, this was never revealed in the Old Testament. They didn't know anything about a rapture because they didn't know anything about a church, right? They knew nothing about a church, so they didn't know anything about a rapture. And so he said, if it's not part of the prophecies of the Old Testament that are looking forward to the end times, then you can't really classify it as eschatology. But I say, you know what? The word eschatology means end times. And to me, the rapture kind of fits in the end times, you know, because it's, the, it's what brings the church to a conclusion it's what sets the table for, we don't know the time frame, but it's what sets the table for what will be the signing of the covenant, which begins the tribulation, which begins all of that unfolding into the millennial kingdom and so on. So I believe you can still categorize it as eschatology, but think about that. This was never revealed in the Old Testament because they didn't know anything about the church at all. First Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 58, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. Now, again, you have to be, you have to be capable of understanding. Are there, going to be trumpets? Are there going to be trumpets that sound after this trumpet? Yes, but it's the last trumpet of the church, right? This is the final trumpet for the church. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And he's talking about whoever is alive at the time. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. If you think about it, that's the, that's the fulfillment of that, isn't it? I mean, we don't have to fear physical death because what's going to happen? I got a, this body's going to die? I got another one waiting for me. Right? I don't have to fear physical death because I got another one waiting for me. Yes. I think when it says that, uh, one of the famous deceptions will be there will be trumpets uh, on the, the desolation uh, when, when uh, Antichrist announces that he is God. I think that'll be. Well, there's going to be if you look at if you look at the unfolding of all of that. There's the there's the seals. There's the Bowls, trump, right? You got all that stuff in, in, in Revelation that we learn about, right? But this trumpet is not part of that. This is, this is the trumpet that sounds the end of the, yeah, this is the trumpet that sounds the end of the church, right? You're going to have that, that trumpet. And I, I, don't, I don't, honestly, I, I, people ask me, do you think we're going to hear the sound of a trumpet? I, it could be. It could be that we'll hear the sound of a trumpet. We're going to all be going, what is that? And then all of a sudden, poof, right? So it's it's going to be over. Yeah. Oh, and then it goes on to say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord, right? Blessed hope, we know. This is, I mean, that, to, me, to me, that's the whole thing. That's why I, I, I struggle with those who think that the rapture is going to happen mid-trib or something of that nature. There's even people that think the second advent and the rapture are the same event, right? So what happens is, I mean, if you think about it, let's put it all together. What happens is the dead in Christ rise. Uh, all the believers at the time are transformed, right? There's a change to what we just read. They're all changed. The body of Christ, which is the church, is all together and rises up to meet Christ in the air. And then we come right back down again because it's the second advent, right? We come right back down with him to the earth and we start the, the things that unfold at the end of the tribulation. And there are people that believe that. And then there's the mid-trib guys. But if you think about it, the rapture is the blessed hope, is it not? The rapture is the blessed hope. We're not going to be part of any of that. We're not going to have to take part in any of that. We are saved from the wrath to come. And I think that's exactly what that verse is talking about, that we're saved from the wrath to come. We're not going to be part of it. What about the value of the Old Testament scriptures? All scripture, of course, is God-breathed and spiritually profitable. At the time it was written, a lot of the scripture was Old Testament scriptures, but all scripture, including New Testament scriptures, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, and I hate that word, uh, equipped for every good work. God makes us all that we need to be. Adequate is such a lame word there, I think. Uh, but this is important to understand. This is talking about all Scripture, including everything in the New Testament. By the way, who was it? Who was it that said that what it was that Paul wrote was Scripture? Who did that? Who said that the writings of Paul were, were to be considered Scripture? Peter did. That's right. Peter did. He said he's it says in Second Peter. Second Peter chapter three. We'll take a quick look at that. Second Peter chapter three. We've got to start in verse thirteen because that's uh, Pastor Bob's call to worship. According to his promise. In fact I've got to say it the right way. Hang on, hang on, let me do it. According to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I'm trying to do Pastor Bob's voice. Uh, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Now, see, that's where he stops and then he goes to the end. He says, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But look what's in between. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, uh, you as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Well, when he says that, he's saying that what Paul wrote was scriptures. It's part of the scriptures. See, that's important, right? That's important that he said that. And it goes on from there. uh, And then verse 18, of course, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, so when I say those verses, I have to try to use Pastor Bob's voice and then if I'm going to say um, if I'm going to say the call to worship that Pastor themed it, I got to use a different voice, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah, I got a totally different voice. We need to understand the whole counsel of God, the entire Bible, Acts uh, twenty twenty seven, in order in order to I should could have probably should have added the word in order to truly know Him. Can we know God to a certain extent without that? Of course, but if you truly want to know God, you got to study the whole thing. 
Uh, in Acts 20, 27, Paul says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of God. It's the whole, in other words, everything, right? All, he didn't, nothing is being hidden. If we want to make application of that today, I'm going to teach you everything from every book of the Bible. We're going to learn the whole thing, Genesis to Revelation. We're going to learn that. The Old Testament was recorded and preserved to provide examples for our instruction. We go to this, this passage quite a bit. I like it, though. I don't mind going to it often. 1 Corinthians 10. Keep that in mind. This is really important for if you have anyone, anyone who says the Old Testament is not important for us to study today, this is a great passage to go to. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, which that's interesting language. They were baptized into Moses and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Now that if you want to know that the son was around prior to his incarnation, there it is, right? That rock, what, what was following them, the cloud, all of that, everything that you saw with the, the presence of God, all, that was Christ himself. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play, nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day, nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were, this is, this is the critical part, and they were written... For our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Right? So God preserved this. That's what I'm saying in this. God had this written down. He's preserved it for us for our instruction. So do not tell me that the Old Testament scriptures are not important. All of that is there for our instruction. When you read about what Jeremiah went through, when you read about the apostasy of the people of Israel, and you look at how bad it was, and Jeremiah is looking around and saying, you know, am I the only one? Am I the only one? I mean, sometimes, doesn't it feel like that sometimes today? We look around and think, man, that's why it's kind of nice when we have a gathering here and there's other believers that we're like-minded with because it seems like when we're out there, it seems like nobody believes the truth anymore. Now, God is worthy of all glory and honor and power. Revelation 4, 11, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, and our God, to receive glory and honor power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created now when it says receive glory and honor and power what does that mean it, it means we're acknowledging his glory right we're acknowledging it does god become more glorious no he's infinitely glorious but when it says receive glory and honor and power it means we recognize what's that keep we keep on praising him that's exactly right we're we're, we're proclaiming his glory we're proclaiming his power. We're proclaiming that he is honorable and so on and so forth. That's the nature of that. Jesus Christ is worthy of power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 5, 11 and 12. Then I looked and heard the voice 
of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Love that language. Saying with a loud voice. And I believe, by the way, they were actually singing. It says saying, but I believe this is in song. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And again, when we're talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is that not a recognition of all of those things? Remember, it was actually the son. Christ himself who created all of this. The father was the architect. Jesus Christ was the carpenter, if you want to think of it that way, right? The, the one who did the construction work. Therefore, everything we do should be done to the glory of God. Everything. That's how it should be. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Does that sound like a scripture memory verse maybe? <laughs> yeah. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that's a, that's, that's a this simple, simple verse, but think about it for a second. If you're making a critical decision in your life about something, whether you should do A or B or whatever it is, maybe it's A, B, and C. You've got to choose one of the three. Ask yourself the question, which one of these is going to glorify God the most? That's always a good lens to see things through. What is going to bring honor and glory to God? Which one of these? And if you see there's one of them that's going to bring honor and glory to you and another one that maybe is not the one you would pick, but it's going to bring honor and glory to God, then you know which one you ought to do. 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, do so as one who is speaking oracles of God. If anyone serves, do so as one who is serving from a position of strength which God provides so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, why, why, does this, why is this verse constructed in that way? Because all of these things, this enablement, the speaking gifts, the serving gifts, all of the things, because this is talking about giftedness here, by the way, spiritual giftedness, because if you go to the previous verse, verse 10, each one of you, given that he has received a grace gift, that's a spiritual gift, serving your gift to each other as good stewards of the diverse and abundant grace of God. If anyone speaks, and that's why we're in that context of the, the receiving of the gifts. So how does that all come about? That's all part of the, the church age today, isn't it? And who's the head of the church? Christ himself. So when it says, so that in all things God, that's talking about the Father, right? God the Father may be glorified through Jesus Christ, the head of the church, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is the end of Romans. Now, let me, we're real quick. We're almost at the end of our time. Real quick. That just signifies the end of one and the beginning of another. That's all that does. Lord willing, of course. All right, so what I'm going to do here, and we only have a few minutes to do this. I want, I want you guys to tell me what it was we learned about in Romans. I'm going to start. Now, let me change that. Justification by faith. What else do we learn about in Romans? Anyone? The true depravity of mankind. The depravity of man. 
Very good. No condemnation. Oop, that's not very good. And then no separation for believers. I'm going to add that because we've got to be clear, right? <laughs> what else we learn? Think about what we learned in Romans. Yeah. Uh, church age saints. Are part of the royal family. We are wretched apart from God. Evaluate people. Based, I'm just going to say based on their souls, right? What is a... Law of love. Uh, do not be a stumbling block. We learned about that in Romans 14 and part of 15. Woe to the one who is a stumbling block, right? What about Romans 9 through 11? What do we learn about there? Just in one, in one simple phrase, what do we learn in Romans 9 through 11? I'll put it on here. God still has a plan for Israel, right? That's what Paul talked about in that. There's a lot more that goes with that, but think about that. Uh, a big part of that message is that God's not done with Israel, Yeah, church. The church has a, the church. I didn't want to write that. Oh, hey, that's kind of cool. I don't know what I even did there. Um, the church's stewardship is temporary. Now we're going to stop. The first in the say that again. Right. Yep. Yep. Do- this is the yeah doctrines of the church. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. This is where the doctrines of the church are certainly. Um, I think it, I think you can say the doctrines of the church may not have been be, may, may not have been the first time, but this is certainly where they were solidified and clarified, don't you think? I mean, this is where a lot of information comes out with regard to these doctrines of the church. Well, they were already saying, in some cases, like we're going to see Galatians came before. Galatians came before Romans. And in Galatians, he talks about some of these concepts that were, that's why they call it Romans, the, you know, Romans light or something of that nature. Well, there's Yeah, yeah. So you can say that uh, not only did you have the doctrines of the church, but really you have the um, um, establishment. Uh, 
of the local church concept, right? I mean, you right? I don't have room for that, but you know what I mean. The local church, I mean, the idea that you have this, because what is he doing? He's writing to this church at Rome, and he's talking to them about the things they need to be doing. Obviously, we have some more information in the pastorals, like we've been studying in First Timothy, but this is, this is really foundational in establishing local churches as the, as the source of uh, the preaching of the gospel message, right? It's really establishing that. Yes, sir? Yeah, we got yeah we got the good news bad news. That's a good that's a good thing to point about. That's in Romans the good news. But I'll put the bad news first, right? Because that's how it works, right? We got the bad news and then the good news, <laughs> right? The bad news is uh, all have sinned and fall short have fallen short of the glory of God, right? That's the bad news, and that the wages of sin is what? Yeah, what are we talking about there? Are we talking about physical death? No, we're talking about eternal condemnation. Spiritual death, eternal condemnation. But I could go on. We could go on from here. But this is a good exercise. I don't know if you'll have a chance to do this or not. But kind of sit down and see if you can just jot down some things that we learned in the book of Romans. Because there's a lot in here. And are you going to get them all? No, you are not. But the point of it is just to try to you know, refresh those things in your thinking. Bring it all back to mind in terms of this. You know, there's some great ones right here. There's some great ones that we just outlined right here on this one little, one little sheet. So keep those things in mind. Sunday morning at 9 a.m., and I've got some work to do, by the way, in terms of getting the website stuff ready for all of this, but uh, Sunday morning at 9 a.m., we will begin Galatians. Romans 2 talks a lot about grace, God's grace. Yeah, grace. And uh, that that's what keeps saying to believers. I was waiting for that. I was, expecting, I was expecting you to say it too, Dave. <laughs> grace. Absolutely, and if he emphasized, you know, we're not under law, but we're under grace. I mean, if, if, if anybody emphasized the grace of God, it was Paul, right? He emphasized it, and a lot of that is in, is in this letter, absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and, uh, and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this study that we've had in the book of Romans. It's been over the course of several years now. We've covered a lot of material in this book. It's been a tremendous study for our own spiritual growth. And uh, I thank you that we have technology today where that, that whole thing is going to be up on the website. Whoever wants to grab it uh, and, and pay attention to that, they have the opportunity to do so. Uh, I pray that those who do will be edified by the teaching and that if the focus is all on the truth of your word, and that's what blesses them is the truth of your word. Father, I pray also that for each of us that we will uh, remember what we've learned from our study in Romans, uh, that we'll be able to call these things to mind, even if, even if it's not you know, a memor- memorization of a particular verse, but these doctrinal concepts, these things that we've learned in the process of all of this that are helping us to understand you better, help us to understand the relationship that we have with you better, and to understand what it is that you expect of us in terms of what our work assignments are, what we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be operating, the blessings that we have in Christ, and the proper function of a believer in this stewardship today. So we thank you for this amazing book and all that we've learned from it, and we thank you that we've had this opportunity to spend all this time considering what it has to say. And I thank you for everybody who's been part of this study, and I pray that we all have learned lessons that will enable us to, to operate in a way that brings honor and glory to you in this lost and dying world. Pray all of these things in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen.